in general, there are certain uh, things that I like to look at um, that I recommend that organizations look at as well if they're going to DIY it. Um, one thing that I like to start with, uh, so kind of like a five-step process, if you will, that we have, uh, is I like to look at historical data. So I like to see what has been the consumer behavior. Um, so very specific things. If we're talking membership, because um, again, the what you look at will vary a bit depending on what the product is. But if we're talking membership, we're talking um, uh, whether you're trade or society. So whether you're individual or organizational, you know, when are people renewing? If you're on a calendar or if you're on a rolling, how early out? Um, what have the patterns been? Not just in general, like, oh yeah, we normally get 60% by this time of the year, but looking, pulling those companies or those individual email addresses and seeing has that shifted? Has that changed by persona, by the individual even? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gripe Podcast. My name is Niaz, and I'm the Membership Specialist and Client Success Manager at Gripe Digital. Uh, in this podcast, um, we'll learn how to set the right pricing for association. And if this is your first time joining any of our online event, um, I'll definitely go ahead and give you a bit overview about who we are. So we are Gripe Digital. Uh, we build membership sites for associations, and we have been doing this for the past 12 years now. Our specialty is in association membership, building member portals for associations, especially in the nonprofit space. Uh, basically, our goal is to understand your current state, learn about your desired state, and support you to fill in those gaps to reach your goals successfully. And there are mainly two sides to our services. Uh, firstly, we do workshops to audit your membership journey and build a strategic action plan. And secondly, we build membership sites and portals for association. And we have a member engagement platform called the Member Lounge, uh, with which you can take your member marketing and engagement on autopilot. So this is a, a live presentation to our podcast, and we do have live audiences. Um, if you're joining us live today, um, I welcome everyone again. Um, great to have you on the show. Uh, we have received some amazing questions from the audience, from all the participants that we have today. And if you have any questions during the podcast, during the episode, please submit them on the chat, and we will get to them as soon as we can. And we are really excited to have uh, Dr. Michael Titonity. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of Pricing for Associations, uh, pricing and value speaker and consultant. And I'm not going to butcher his introduction anymore. I'll be like, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, can you please start by telling us a bit about yourself and your work? Yes. Yeah. So first, uh, thank you for having me on, Niaz. I appreciate that. And uh, good afternoon, maybe good morning if you're on the West Coast, but good afternoon, good evening to everyone, depending on where you are watching. Uh, so I'm Dr. Michael Tatsunetti. I am both a CAE, so of course, Certified Association Executive, and also a CPP, a Certified Pricing Professional. So I sit at that intersection of pricing and value strategies specifically for associations. So the work that our firm does is working with associations across products on pricing and value strategy. So that can be membership, events, digital products, uh, sponsorship, education. Um, and we work with associations on both current products that they need to maybe look at a price increase or look at retention and value propositions on or new products that they're launching and considering what is the value, is this the right angle and how do we price something brand new? 
So we worked just on pricing and value strategy. Um, and from there, we hand it off with a roadmap and allow your marketing team to take it over uh, for implementation and for launching. So that's the kind of work that we do. And uh, you can find out more about that at pricingforassociations.com. Wonderful. And Michael, uh, as I've mentioned that you work with associations to work over their pricing, uh, what would you say is the best approach uh, that the association should take? And what do you think is a lot of associations are doing wrong at the moment? Yeah, so I think that the, um, I'll I'll actually answer it in the reverse, because I think that'll help give context. I think that the biggest mistake that I'm seeing right now, especially I would say in the last six months, uh, definitely in the past year, is that when the pandemic hit in 2020, uh, we were definitely in response mode and we had to figure out how to move things more digital, um, how to continue revenue coming in, especially since most associations have the majority of their funding coming in from live events, the sponsorship, the attendee fees, all of that. So we, we kind of did this you know, pivot, right? Even though we hate that word now, but we did this pivot, we figured it out. But I think that as we moved into 2022 and we are quote unquote, coming out of it. The the problem is that we're trying to kind of get back to normal, which is another word that we hate. But I think that the appetite and the expectation of our audiences, both sponsors and members has changed. And what I'm noticing is that uh, I think many associations are looking at the price and saying, okay, how can we update our pricing? How can we make more? I don't think though, and this is the biggest mistake, I don't think enough associations are saying, are we delivering the right value? And so they're trying to put the cart before the horse. And in doing that, I'm starting to see a retention problem where more and more people are questioning the value. Sponsors are questioning the value of participating um, or maybe at the same level that they once were. And members likewise are questioning, what am I, you know, do I really need this? Am I able to get it from somewhere else? And so I think that a lot of associations are asking a great question in how do we price But what I'm practically noticing is that the value has not been analyzed and updated. There has been no real value analysis um, for your audiences, and therefore, you're, you're kind of going in the wrong order. So I think that what a lot of organizations need to do right now, um, and this is a generalized statement, but again, through my clients and, and answering questions and all that, um, I'm consistently seeing that associations need to do a proper analysis of the value that they deliver, I think, in 2023 and determine where are they going, what's next, what do their products look like, how are they packaging them, what matters, and then figure out, okay, now how do we price it based on that value? Um, so I think that just focusing on the price alone, while I love talking about the price, um, I, I'm I'm I am seeing a potential uh, problem with value delivery and meeting the needs of the audiences that associations serve. Right, right. And do you do you actually have a process of finding the true value that someone should charge for their membership? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's a bit complex. So I'll try to do like the high level. Here's what to you know. Here's what to do. Because of course, it can be a you know an in depth process. It's like asking like, okay, how do you do marketing, right? Like, or you know, how do, how do you put on an event? Um, in general, there are certain uh, things that I like to look at um, that I recommend that organizations look at as well if they're going to DIY it. Um, one thing that I like to start with, uh, so kind of like a five step process, if you will, that we have. Uh, is I like to look at historical data. So I like to see what has been the consumer behavior. Um, so 
very specific things. If we're talking membership, um, because again, the what you look at will vary a bit depending on what the product is. But if we're talking membership, we're talking um, uh, whether you're trade or society. So whether you're individual or organizational, you know, when are people renewing? If you're on a calendar or if you're on a rolling, how early out? Um, what have the patterns been? Not just in general, like oh yeah, we normally get sixty percent by this time of the year. But looking, pulling those companies or those individual email addresses and seeing has that shifted, has that changed by persona, by the individual even. Um, taking a look at what are they logging into? So what are they actually consuming? If you have a bullet list of 10 different things that you offer to them, what percentage are logging into each thing or taking advantage? And from there, how active are they with it? So let's say that you do a monthly webinar series and it's free for members how many are attending live and then how many are watching the replay and what percent are not even interacting with that. And then can you segment them, which again, all this is hard work and people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is a lot of work, but it's important work. Like, you know, who's actually logging in? Is there a particular segment that you notice that's logging in? Is it mostly your newer members? And then they kind of trail off because maybe your content is redundant year over year and they feel like, oh, I already got it. Uh, is it more senior? Is it more those who are looking for a new career change? Like what are the patterns? So we like to look at the data as much as we can and try to get an idea of who's doing what historically. Um, The second thing then, which is an optional step is doing a competitive analysis. Now I don't price based on competitors because I think that you only know what they're offering based on what their website says. And similar, they only know what you're delivering based on what your website says you may do some of that really well and you may not. So you might go, oh, they have monthly trainings and we only have you know quarterly, but maybe their monthly topics are more of sales pitches from sponsors and yours are actually really great educational content. So you can't necessarily say, oh, well, we offer less here, so we shouldn't charge as much for this component or the value of this bullet. Uh, maybe yours is actually worth more, but I like to do a SWOT analysis there and kind of compare what, what are the value propositions that are stated um, and the price difference. And what are you noticing? For me, it's more about idea generation of, oh, they're doing this. How might we look at doing that? Or is that even a value? Um, the third step is then doing a value, a deep value analysis with your audience. I call that the voice of customer part. And that's where you will typically run a series of surveys, focus groups, maybe one-on-one interviews, especially if you're looking more at like a sponsorship thing where you don't want them all together. But things like membership events, you can do focus groups and have have people together. Um, And in the survey, there are a couple things that I really like to ask. Um, There's, uh, of course, always asking for name, email, and may we follow up. Uh, The reason for that is you can then funnel them into those focus groups or interviews, and you've already got persona information on them. Um, Then I like to ask a couple of persona-based questions, maybe three to five. This is especially really good if your data is not that great to begin with. So you can start figuring out, okay, based on these personas, here's how they answered. Um, And then from there, I ask the value questions. And in general, there's three big questions I like to ask. Um, What are we doing well that we should amplify? What are we not doing well uh, that we can do better or even sunset? And um, what are you getting elsewhere that we can learn from? Like, what are we not doing that maybe we should start doing? So what should we start? What should we stop? And what should we amplify? That's basically what I ask. Now you can get specific with different bullets and all that, right? So how it looks varies a bit um, and how long you want the survey to be. 
but I like to do that. And then from there, usually invite them into focus groups um, by segment. If you can, if you've created, let's say three segments, then maybe run two to three focus groups per segment, you know, run, run a series of six to nine focus groups and say, Hey, here's what we're seeing. Don't tell them your segment, just here's what we're seeing. Right. But it is for their segment. Can you tell us more? Right. That's where you get that qualitative feedback of, yeah, we want monthly training instead of quarterly, but not if it's going to be salesy as an example, like what, what do you want uh, or what topics start generating topic ideas for us? What would it look like? Um, and then from there, after that value analysis and saying, okay, here's how the packaging might change. The fourth step is then pricing analysis. So that's where you say, okay, based on these changes, we've heard you based on these changes, here's what that's going to do to the price. Uh, there's two methods there. You can do open or closed-ended. Um, open-ended is where you use typically the Van Westendorp model of questions and you say, what is your willingness to pay for this upgraded membership? Or on the closed-ended, you could do open and then closed, or you could just jump into closed-ended. The closed-ended is where you have a price. So it might be based on the answers from the open-ended, or it might just be that your board or your staff say, hey, we need to raise the price to this amount. Um, and from there, you would say, okay, would you get with A or B? Would you go with the current membership that has these features at this price? Or here's the additional features you would get the upgrades at this price, which would you pick? And see what that migration looks like. And then the fifth step, um, not, not that this is an easy one, two, three, four, five, but then the fifth step is communicating it. So you have to communicate value. You have to communicate, we heard you, we're making these changes. Here's when they're rolling out. You know, in the next year, you're going to see this in quarter one, this in quarter three. Uh, maybe this last piece will come in year two and we'll do a slight price increase then to cover that. And, you know, but we heard you and we're excited to deliver this value. So that's where that's kind of the five steps of what we do. Typically, if we do a project, we take about six months to do all of that, uh, to really take our time and go through it methodically and, and, and make decisions as we go along. Right, right. So what I can understand that in terms of the few steps, like if you have to give a high level overview of the steps itself, it's mainly understanding your product, what you're offering uh, to your members, then you have to do your data, data analysis and market analysis as well to understand uh, what the competitor is like and your historic data for your own association as well. And then you have to make sure that you're doing that market testing. Um, and then pricing and value roadmap, and then the implementation part of it. So in terms of all the steps that you have mentioned, it takes about five to six months in regards of your handling a project, because of course it has a lot to do um, with the process itself. Uh, one thing that you did mention is um, the willingness to pay, right? Because mm -hmm. this is something that we have, like this question is something that we have gotten from a lot of audiences that we have. So it's like, how do we talk about price without talking about the price? Like how do you word your questions to understand what's your member's willingness to pay? Yes. So uh, so that's where I would say the, the quick and easy answer is I would Google the Van Westendorp model. That gives a good overview. That's the methodology that we use for our open-ended. Um, but I do customize it, of course, and I don't just use it as is, but that's a good starting point. So in general, the four there's four questions that you would ask. You would present you know, the upgrades, the new thing. And uh, from there, you would ask a series of four open-ended questions and you allow them to fill it in. And you would say, at what price point um, is would this product be uh, too expensive to be considered or, or out of your budget? 
at what price point would this be expensive or within your budget, but worth considering? At what price point would this be inexpensive or maybe a no-brainer? And then at what price point would this be too cheap that you would question the value, too cheap to be a value? And what you do then is you would plot this onto a graph across all of the answers. So you might get you know, a couple hundred answers, you know, maybe a couple thousand, maybe dozens, depending on the size of your organization and the percentage of people who respond. And you then create these um, windows, if you will, where you say, okay, the, the overall willingness to pay is from too inexpensive to be a value to too expensive, somewhere in there. But we really narrow it down typically then to the middle two, which is uh, at what price point would it be a no-brainer or inexpensive? At what price point would it be expensive but worth considering? Now, we don't just ask those two. We ask all four because they then typically give us a better answer for those middle two. But we can then consider, okay, somewhere in these two is going to be the answer. Now, sometimes uh, those two are less than the current price. Sometimes it's more than. Um, Usually it's not too wide of a uh, 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 or broad of a number answer, but even if still, again, you kind of average it um, and figure out where that willingness to pay is. Uh, there are some tactics. Again, this is where it depends on the product and how you're positioning it. Um, sometimes, depending on how much value is being added, we'll anchor it against the current amount. So we'll say, okay, again, like here's the current membership and the current price, here's the new one, and then ask. So if they already have in their head, okay, if I pay, let's say $400 per year for my membership, I know I'm getting more, so I should pay more. Now, how much more? Um, sometimes if it's a new product or if you're just really revamping in a way that you you don't want to anchor it to that, then you might just show it without showing the old. So it depends how you do it specifically, but those series of questions will help you get a good idea. And again, then also looking at those answers by segment. So if you've created, let's say three segments, seeing what those different segments might say. Um, You may or may not price based on segment. You still might have one universal membership price. You might create tiers based on segments. Maybe the segments are young professional versus, you know, mid-career versus uh, senior leader or even retirement if you want to maintain uh, some of those emeritus type members um, uh, or emeritus, but it's essentially up to you whether you do tiers or not based on personas. Right, right. But um, when it comes to tiers itself, like how do you decide uh, between when to use like a flat membership or a tiered membership? And how do you usually create those tiers uh, for your membership level? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll say this first, and I don't think too many people say it, but I, I, I like it. I think that it can be fun to go from... Uh, one type of membership to tiers and back every 20 years. Like, I think it's something fun to play with over the life cycle of an organization. Not every five or 10 years, that's whiplash. Maybe like once a generation, let's say, right? Like once every 20 years, 30 years. So I think it's something fun to play with because it gives opportunities. Outside of that, what I would say is um, you'll know if you should do tiers if you feel like you are leaving money on the table and you clearly know your segments. If you're not sure, if you're not really seeing it and you feel like everyone kind of fits in, you're probably okay. Um, likewise, if you have tiers and you notice you know, that maybe everyone's kind of going into one anyway, it depends on which one, it may be okay to condense down. So, um, so some, of the, some of the differences that I would say 
you know, one membership type is great if you know everyone pretty much wants the same value, right? Like if no one's really differentiating based on value, because there's two ways that you can do tiers. You can either do it based on the value delivered or you can do it based on maybe like stage of career. That's that's typically an ethical persona-based uh, tier model. So stage of career, again, like a young professional or student member, you know, mid-level, and then maybe a senior leader or something like that. Um, but if you're going to do it based on value, that's where you start saying, okay, maybe, you know, the low level membership is, uh, you know, you get newsletters and um, discounts and things like that. But maybe you pay a la carte for certain things like webinars and conference. Maybe the second level includes all of the webinars or digital trainings for the year at a bulk discounted rate. You know, if you do 10 a year, there are a hundred bucks each, but you pay 500 extra for the year and you get all of them included. And then maybe the third tier includes, you know, again, something even deeper, maybe conference. I don't like bundling conferencing with membership. I don't think people care for that. Uh, That's a trend that I've seen after COVID. It could work, but I think it works rarely. And I don't think that's a move. So I think you have to know what people want. Um, I do think that there's a great opportunity to add even just one tier based on how much we've expanded digital education over the last couple of years. So that could be an option. But again, that's going back to step one of looking at the data and saying, okay, let's say we put on 10 per year. Most people only attend four. So so maybe we price and uh, let's say that in total you make, I'm just going to make up numbers. You make $1,000 a year off of all the webinars. I don't know. That's a really low number. And you have 1000 members. So you know that if you just charge them each an extra buck a year, you would you wouldn't cannibalize, you would break even, you know, or make more. And maybe if all of them per year, I don't even know, cost, you know, whatever, 10 bucks, maybe you go up 5 bucks per year. Again, these are stupid, you know, numbers just to make it up and keep it nice and round. But the point is, okay, now instead of making, you know, 1000, maybe we're you know, but we're spreading it around, you know, we're, we're making maybe, you know, more money, but to them, it's a no brainer. So that could be where you can elevate or you can force everyone into it. I've had one client, uh, this was two years ago. It was a bar, a local bar association. Um, they offered for two years, they, they did an elevated membership that included all digital trainings for the year in this similar way. But they said in two years, we're sunsetting the current membership and you have to move to it, but you can move to it early. And they wanted to see what percent you know, would, would move and, and how that would go. So there's different ways to do tiered versus not. I think it's fun to play and go back and forth because I think it's a way to capture more revenue and deliver more value and then kind of pull back and then reestablish, you know, maybe every few decades, honestly. Right, right. Uh, so in terms of membership tiers, that's very understandable in terms of what value that you're providing. Uh, but how would you usually price because uh, when it comes to an associations like they have like a lot of prospective members as well like members coming in there are non-members who's participating in their events in their webinars or in their resources segment so how do you how do you price members versus non-members yeah so if you're still going to offer those things to non-members um typically what i say is have some well it depends if it's included or not so if it's included in membership and no member pays for it. Like, let's say it's a, you know, there's only one tier of membership, not multiple tiers, and therefore every member gets it. Then the way that I would price it for not members is I would still assign a value of price to like as a member rate. So you might say something to the effect of, you know, our members 
you know, uh, even though it's included in membership, maybe they pay $50 per or $20 per. And so this is the member rate. And then typically I recommend doing some kind of a percent markup. That's one method. The other is, again, if you look at the data and see about how many per year does a non-member sign up for, can you entice them with price anchoring to say, oh, well, the membership's actually worth it. So in the first scenario, let's say that members only sign up for one randomly, right? They, they are Googling, they find it, or they see it on LinkedIn or whatever. They join that one, but they don't come to multiple throughout the year. Then you might say, okay, our members, you know, the member rate, even though no one's really paying it is, you know, $20 to join this live training for 45 minutes or an hour. So the non-member rate is, you know, $39, whatever it is. Um, then that's it. But if you notice that non-members or maybe half of non-members join five per year, and therefore let's just say 40 bucks times five, that's $200 per year. Maybe if membership is 300, then maybe you, you know, you can lay that case out on the sales page as well to say, you know, for this much or for whatever you get to join or do a trial membership for, you know, $99 or something like that, you know, that's a three month trial membership. And, you know, then you can roll that in and pay the difference or whatever. So again, it, it depends on the nuance of how often are you offering something, all that, how, what are you price anchoring against? Is the goal just to get them to attend one, get their email, get them on the list and then try to upsell them to more webinars. Cause you know, that's what they're interested in. And then, you know, using marketing, sell them onto different products that you offer as well, or is your goal to try to convert them into a member as soon as possible, whether it's at the sale or within 30 days using a, you know, maybe an email sequence that makes the case for this. Um, and then even in that email sequence, you could say, Hey, the registration that you paid, the $39 can go towards your membership. If you sign up in the next 30 days, and here's everything that you get, that could be an email or two that they get over the next month. So again, depends on the goals, depends on your pricing objectives, your value objectives, there's different ways to do it. Um, but in general, I, I either price non-member versus member as either like a percentage markup, usually not more than double, uh, usually not less than like 50% more somewhere in there, but it depends on the price of the product. Um, because if it's like a $500 product, you might make non-member only 200, which is less than 50% increase, right? You might go 500 and 700. So, but if it's like a $20, $50 thing, you might go double or close to it. Um, so either that method or the second method, again, being trying to tie it against the cost of membership and making it a no brainer to get something for the whole year. Right, right. And, uh, doing this key differentiation between a non-member and a member actually helps you to promote, uh, your association and have that membership growth and membership drive as well, uh, which is an amazing strategy in the first place. Uh, so getting back to the membership tier that we were talking about, uh, like how do we balance um, individual membership versus organizational membership, or even versus like large organizations that has like a different number of people joining the membership from different locations. Yeah. So I just talked with um, an organization about that this morning um, where they're a trade association, but they are starting to offer more individual things. And they've added now an individual membership category that they're going to roll out and figuring out guardrails there. Um, I think that... So I think there's different ways that you can do guardrails. One, one consideration is this goes back to, again, step one and looking at the data. So let's say you have a, a big organization, maybe has 10 people that actively log in or 50 people that actively log in, right? And you're comparing that to an individual. 
I would look at those 10 or 50 people and say, how often have they logged into the member portal over the last year or two? How often have they each viewed, uh, you know, maybe webinars, you know, if they have to sign up for that, you know, just, you know, register for it or view it. If you can look at their activity in the member portal, what have they accessed, right? Are they looking up articles? Kind of what are they doing? And get an idea um, when you compare that to a smaller organization, because it, some organizations, it's nothing for them to say, well, we'll just get one, you know, login or two logins and they become the, the source hub, if you will. Like you go to them and say, hey, can you look and see if there's anything on this? I need something about it to make a decision versus an individual who can do the same thing. Um, I think some of the guardrails that you can put into place would be uh, one could be that you could do it uh, uh, based on how many people would be logging in, how many logins they get. I don't think that's always the most effective way because again, they can just narrow it down to one person having a login. I think other ways you can do it that I've seen done and that I've worked with clients. One is you can do it, try to do it based on like revenue. Um, you can do it based on the uh, employee size of the organization, or you can even do it based on the projected number of people in that role at the organization. And to do the last two, we typically look at LinkedIn. So I'll go to their LinkedIn company profile and I'll say, okay, this says they have you know 10,000 employees. So then you start creating these bands. You say, okay, here's our you know 100 organization members. Let's try to get an idea of how many employees do they each have and then create bands or look up how many people are in a specific role, have something in their title at that organization and say, okay, according to this, you have, I don't even know, let's say 2000 people in this type of role in, in HR and we'll give you access for all 2000. Even if only 100 or 200 log in actively, they all get access. Uh, and make it a no-brainer for them. So if if let's just say it's two thousand people, that's a really high number. Probably most people listening wouldn't even have you know that many. But I'll run with that since I said it. If they had two thousand people, you know only one hundred might log in per year. Make it a no-brainer where individual. You know if, if you compared it, maybe they're paying for the equivalent of. 150 or 200 individuals for that 2000, because you know that not all of them are even going to make an account and have a cost in your AMS are going to be accessing the learning, et cetera, et cetera. And then start looking at that data a year or two into doing this with all organizations. See if more people are logging in, then you might be able to make a case for a price increase and to say, you're getting this value. And that's a great thing. Um, but the reality is, you know, like in an AMS, for example, you're typically paying maybe two bucks per person per year, the same for an LMS to have their account there. It doesn't cost you that much. So, you know, kind of figure that out, make sure that you're doing it from a wise perspective. But, uh, you know, then the other benefits of that is by having more people, that helps with sponsor dollars. The more that log in, that helps with sponsor dollars, right? Because if sponsors are paying for visibility for maybe the webinars, like, hey, brought to you by, you know, you can say, hey, yeah, we, you know, we've got all these new members now and they're look, are they looking at it? Are they logging in, et cetera? So then your money can go up all around in different ways. Right, right. Yeah. And then as you mentioned about like um, different, like members has different role, like when it comes to a similar industry, right? And this is one question that we have been receiving with from a few different audiences as well, is that uh, a lot of associations has a diverse membership, like diverse membership in terms of like, let's say manufacturers, wholesalers and contractors coming in and each group is receiving like different values from the association itself. So what would you suggest the membership pricing model should be for such association to define each tier? Yeah, that that is where I would recommend that each of those segments has a different, more than likely has a different membership 
Um, so it's not even necessarily a tier, it's more of a category. And so I would recommend now this is where I might keep it simple. It, it's so it depends. If, if let, let's say hypothetically, right now you have one type of membership and all these different categories are paying for the same thing. Hopefully that's not the case, but let's just say that is. My first step would probably be have one tier of membership per category, but start breaking them out. So figure out what do each of them need. I've done that as well. I worked with one org that did uh, uh, like retail basically, and they did have similar categories to this that had very different needs and very different budgets. Um, uh, you know, retail had way bigger budget than you know maybe distributors and manufacturers. So. From there, you figure out what is the value that you need. You, you, you have to talk usually to whoever the key account holder is at that organization, the decision maker, and say, what is the value that you need from our organization? Is it, is it training? And if so, on what topics? Um, is it a certification? Is it that we're giving you a, a, a seal of approval on your processes or how green you are with your processes or something like that, right? Um, so what is it specifically that you need from us as your association and then how can we deliver that? And then you can compare where's the value similar, where is it different? What is the budget? What is the willingness to pay of each segment type? Maybe even each segment type based on, again, revenue per year. Um, that's what this one in particular, this was uh, uh, maybe two years ago, this one retail type association did. They said, okay, we've got you know, maybe three or four different categories. You fit into one, but then from there, based on your annual revenue, that determines how much you pay. And it was a open organizational membership. So then anyone can log in and have access to the digital assets, but it was based on your annual revenue. So there's, again, different ways to do it. You could do it by number of logins, um, even if they're multi-site. I mean, I've had organizations where, of course, you have uh, maybe a multi-site member who's not only multi-site within one country, but across multiple countries. Um, even then, I would say you mostly have to price, I would say, based on your primary country, you might differentiate based on their countries, but you might say, this is how we price, this is where we're located, or based on where your headquarters is, or something to that effect. That's getting a bit more complex with like international pricing. Um, but, but I would, I would have those different categories and then decide, do you just have one? This is what it is. Uh, you, again, it, when you talk to them, you'll find out, is it basically one department or a couple of people that are logging in and that's it? If so, you can probably just have one tier for that category. Or does it vary? If you have, let's say, uh, again, I'm going to just use retail as an example. If you have a member like Amazon or Walmart, they probably have way more people logging in than a boutique you know, that maybe has five locations. And the willingness to pay is going to be very, very different because the value that they get and how much they access it is very, very different. Uh, so those are all considerations that that I would I would I would be looking at. Okay, okay, and um, like in terms of a uh, like an association point of view, right? How do you quantify organizational membership ROI? Like setting a price because you know your cost of goods sold, you know, uh, like how much is your value added as an association with the staff and overhead. So how are you going to quantify the organizational membership ROI? Yeah. So organizational ROI is a little bit harder. Um, I have a video on the website where I kind of gave some examples of what it could look like. Um, but in general, oh, I would say that, uh, again, I would look at the data of what are they typically accessing and can you put some kind of a price for the value of those individual components? 
Um, I think that you can also, this is where like marketing, I mean, pricing and value are a part of marketing, but when we typically think of marketing, marketing, we think of like the storytelling and digital and print assets, right? So this is where that general thought of marketing can come in, which is gathering those uh, qualitative stories as well to increase the value. So things like being able to quickly find an answer for your boss so that you look, you know, competent in front of them and you're getting them the most realistic uh, uh, knowledge quickly. That's something that's of value to an organizational membership to me, whether, you know, even though it's the individual logging in. Um, things like lobbying, that's something that, you know, if your organization lobbies and, and has had a win in the last few years, that's something that you can speak to. Like, hey, we, you know, we know that we did this and we had this impact in your company because we see your, you know, maybe your records or we saw it in the news. You know, you benefited this much. Now, that doesn't mean that we charge you for that you know, dollar for dollar, but you have a real benefit over years of being a member with us. Um, so it is a little bit harder, but I, I like to start with, um, I don't start with like the cost of goods sold. I think we should know that we should know all of our finances and accounting, but I typically like to say, okay, here are the tangible things that you're getting, whether it's, um, you know, conference registrations, again, you know, access to certain materials, whatever it is, put a dollar value on that. And then add the premium for the qualitative value that they receive of uh, uh, of ease, you know, effort, uh, things like that. So it, it's it's a little bit more complex. Um, and again, this is where then the pricing analysis comes in to ask what is their willingness to pay and determine what they say. The other thing that's interesting is when you're doing the open-ended willingness to pay questions. Um, when you're doing an individual membership, you're getting from the individual what they're willing to pay. When you're asking, though, an individual to complete a survey and it's an organizational membership, sometimes people are afraid of, well, what, what if they overstate or understate what the organization is actually willing to pay? And what I say to that is typically they're going to understate it a little bit, but that person is also typically the advocate for your, for your association to continue to be a member, uh, for them to be a member of. Because they're the ones opening the emails, they're the ones maybe submitting, you know, for, um, you know, for payment, right? Um, they're the ones that if accountant comes back and says, you know, oh, this this went up last year, we only paid this much for the membership, it went up. Why? They're the ones that can say, well, here's what they've added in, or or we've added five new seats, or whatever the case is, right? So, to me, that individual, you can still ask about willingness to pay through a survey, and again. That's where having the different segmentation. So it might be, are you a distributor, a manufacturer, a uh, 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 retailer? What what are you? And what size is your organization or what revenue tier or whatever? And then what is your willingness to pay? That's where all of this kind of comes together into you know one clear methodology. Right, right. And while you were talking about the willingness to pay and like the whole process of finding the true value uh, that someone should charge for their membership itself, like mm -hmm. you did mention about like, uh, though you say that it's it shouldn't be the important topic of discussion, but you, you did mention about understanding your competition, right? So how do you manage competition? That is, you see a larger association with more benefits to offer for the same cost. How do you manage that competition? So it depends on who the competition is. Um, if the competition, this is <laughs> this has been an issue, I think, for the last three years. If the competition is your organization's national right, like org. So what I mean by that is, if you are maybe a state or local, and they're the national, 
they are a competitor if you're not intertwined through bylaws where maybe they funnel money down or you funnel money up because they're doing things separate from you and they're competing for the same audience, the same membership, the same attendance at events, all of that, right? So that's one angle. The other angle is if they're not affiliated with you at all, they just happen to be a bigger organization, or maybe you're more US-based, they're more European-based or Asia market or Africa, whatever the case is, right? So there, I would say there's first those two nuances of, are they a part of your organization, even if maybe not you know through bylaw, but they're the national, you're the local, or are they completely separate? If they are a part of your organization, for lack of a better term, whether it's bylaw, you know, constitutionally bound or not, but but they're the national, you're the local. I think that's where a coalition of the locals coming together and having a clear voice with the bigger organization is needed. Um, I saw that a lot during COVID. That the bigger organization across many industries, I saw this, where state and local were saying we can't compete. They're offering better programming. They've got better speakers in their back pocket. Uh, they have a bigger email list, so they can afford to do the same, you know, virtual training is not that expensive. They can afford to do it for half of what we do because they're getting four times the registrants and they're still making more. I think that the big orgs need to be cognizant of that. If they have state locals, I think you need to partner or maybe say, hey, you each get a link. And if they sign up and say they're from this state, you get a, you know, whatever, 20% kickback or something. There has to be something there. It's that's a hard one. That is a hard one. I think if they are not affiliated at all, then you've got to hone in on what makes you special. There's got to be, I would say there should be something different about you from them. So is it that they are um, more of a generalist for your field? So again, whether it's marketing, right? Like maybe it's AMA, but you focus specific specifically on digital marketing as an association, right? Or copywriting or, or whatever, or maybe it's, you know, SHRM or something like general, you know, HR, but you focus on recruiting as an association. I'm just making this up. There probably are smaller orgs that do this that I'm just, you know, not aware of and haven't worked with yet, but then you need to hone in on that superpower and that you're getting the best training specifically on this, or you're getting the best resources specifically on this. And so it, it should complement. It shouldn't necessarily be a, are you a member of this or that? It should be that you're delivering consistently such specific value. But you also, this is just business model. Then you also have to know that not everyone who's in marketing or in HR is your audience. It's these specific people in these roles who do copywriting or who do, um, again, recruiting or whatever the whatever that niche is. So you need to have that ready to go. Or if it's uh, location-based, I brought up earlier, if you're, let's say you're more Asia-based and they're more US-based. You know, then don't worry about trying to have your digital offerings and times that meet the other audience as well to try to capture that market. Focus on your market. Focus on what are the needs that they have specifically, what's coming up in that region. So focus on what makes you special. Lean into that. Know what the 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 audience size is and then create a business model for that. You may not be as big as the big guy then. That's not your goal. It's not the market share that's there. So be the best, you know, you may not be the 50 person association with the same number of members. You might be the five person association, you know, with the small, but but you can still balance the budget and serve your audience well. And that's fantastic. And you can create coalitions again, or, or do trainings or whatever partnerships for the bigger organization. If you, you know, play nice, great. Then they might say, oh yeah, we're partnering with them on this, you know, training series or a workshop or whatever specific to this niche. So 
that's my take on it. I, I think everyone can have a seat at the table. I think the world is big enough, um, but I think you have to know your your market size and just play within that and figure out how do we all play together. And then if they won't play nicely, how how do you sustain yourself as a business? You know, I mean, we live in a world where again, there's Mar- there, there's Walmart, there's Target, but then there's still the smaller you know box stores as well. Everyone can fit in. There's enough space, but how do you do it with a business mind to know your audience? Right, right. And you did you did mention about the like building that pricing strategy, understanding your value proposition, right? And mm-hmm. then building that pricing strategy, or if you have to raise your prices as well. So the first thing that comes up is how do you convince others in your organization, like within your association, that raising price is the best thing to do at the moment? Yeah. So, um, I, okay, I have a blog on this as well that I would recommend because it goes into greater detail. But the impact that pricing has is absurd. Um, and we wouldn't think that. We would think we have to raise the price by a lot. But most organizations, if you look at your 990, if the, the more nuclear that you can get, you know, if, if you can get down to buy product type, great. But if you can't, even just as an organization, look at your revenue in versus expenses and figure out what is your you know, profit margin as a whole organization. If you can't get any deeper and go, well, membership has this cost of goods versus this revenue. It, most organizations are at about 30%, give or take. Now, again, it can vary. Digital products, you know, have a bigger you know, profit margin than like an in-person event. It all varies. But in general, I usually go off about 30% and that tends to be pretty accurate. So if you've got, I'll give you the quick version of, of that blog. If you've got a $100 product and 30% profit margin, so you're at, you know, you're, you're spending 70 bucks, you're making 30 bucks. If you discounted, because we love to discount, we don't like to raise price. If you discounted, you're not going to discount by just 5%. You're typically going to do a 10, 20, 25% discount, maybe even more. But if you did a 10% discount, let's go conservative. That means you're losing 10 bucks. So now your profit margin went from $30 to 20 because you still have to spend the $70. Your your cost didn't go down by 10%. You know, It doesn't all go down. It comes out of your profit. So now your profit margin went from 30 to 20%. That's a huge hit. And is that 10% discount really going to make a big difference? And now if you went from 30 to 20 bucks, you need to increase your sales by 50% to make the same amount of money. Is offering a 10% discount going to raise your sales by 50%? No. But on the flip side, if you go from 100 bucks to 103, that's that's only a 3% price increase, but it's actually a 10% for your profitability because now you go from 30 to $33. If you had a 10% addition in your bottom line by only going up 3%, in the top, that makes a big difference, right? So you don't have to move the needle a whole lot every year to see a big impact. So if your organization, again, is charging even a hundred bucks and you say, we're going to 105, most people won't blink at that. They might say, okay, now it's you know 105 or 110 a year for the membership. But again, you're, if you went to 110, your bottom line just went up from 30 to 40 bucks. You just went up one third. How much more can you do if you had a third more in your bottom line, how much more can you reinvest? Because that's our purpose as an association, as a nonprofit, is to reinvest that into staffing, technology, resources, all of that. So first of all, I like to show that math because most people don't get that. They think you need to raise the price from 100 to 150 to see a big difference and you don't. And they think you can discount and it won't have a big impact and it does. So I like to do that first. So that's a blog on the website. You can literally just like send it to someone. Um, But second, then what I like to do is then focus on the value and say, okay, but here's the value that we're adding in. And again, let's just say we're only adding in 
one digital training a year that's normally 50 bucks and now you pay 110 and everybody gets it, that's a no brainer. You're paying $10 extra for $50 training. And if 80, 90% of your people want it, but maybe they don't buy it. So you got to look at the historical who buys it, but maybe they want it and they would. And may, a lot of organizations will say, oh, I just don't like to, you know, maybe their accounting team doesn't want you doing a bunch of purchases throughout the year. They want like one purchase, they want a budget, they want to know. If you included it in membership, it might be a no-brainer. They might say, yeah, we'll spend this and you get it. And, and again, and then it goes up. So I start with that pricing with the math to show them the impact of discounting and price increase and how, how it impacts with just a little bit of movement. Um, and then number two, then I go into the value and say, here's what we're doing. Now, would you pay this much extra to get these things? If you would, then what the, Then what are we doing? Um, you'll still have organizations that fight you on it. That's to me, the last effort is when you bring in an outside consultant because they listen to us. We all know that it's not a pitch for me. It's a, that's the case with anything. <laughs> they will listen to other people more than they will listen to you. It's, it's like your own, you know, children, nieces, nephews. If you have little people around you in life, you know, we, we always see people as who they are and keep them in a box. And sometimes we need to hear it from somebody else who we don't have any bias, who we don't, you know, we receive with, with fresh eyes and we go, oh, that makes sense. So that's a last ditch effort, but DIY in-house, uh, again, there's a, there, there's a blog on our website about the impact of discounting, pull that blog and then sell the value. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it's understandable, like when you're doing your value proposition and increasing your price, um, and if you're able to show the math, it's, it's kind of easier to convince um, your associations and your team. But when it comes to like, a lot of associations, like post pandemic, due to inflation and post pandemic, they have increased their fees. How do you communicate this changes to your members? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I've got a hot topic here that most people might shake their head on it is what it is. I'm allowed to have my own expert opinion and, and you can have yours too. I don't believe in raising prices just because of inflation. I get that our costs have gone up. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider that, but I would almost address that part first. It is what it is. If you've already raised them, you have to value communicate, but that's the problem. If you raise them based on inflation, then what you're saying is our costs have gone up. So yours goes up. It's just a domino effect. The better way is to say we've added this value and the prices are going up. You can include inflation in that and say, because you know, we've increased the value and inflation's hitting us a little bit, just like it's hitting everybody. But here's the value, the value that you're getting. If my think about it, if Netflix, we'll keep it real simple, like a B2C example. Netflix raises my price just about every year, right? Disney Plus just did, Hulu has, all those streamers have. They raise it by like a dollar. I don't really care, but that's a big, again, think about that example I just gave. If I only pay, I think I paid 20 bucks a month now for Netflix. I used to pay seven or $8. They, and, and their costs have gone up, I'm sure, right? But they have more members. It's spread out. It's a digital product. Their profitability has gone through the roof because of that, right? If they say we're raising it by a dollar a month because of inflation, I'm going to say, well, what the heck? Like my salary is not going up because of inflation, but all my costs are. And then you start considering, should I keep you or not? Because you're going up because of inflation. But if they say, we've added this programming, and if they get really specific and segment me and say, we noticed that you like to watch comedies, and we've added these 20 comedy specials in the last year, and we plan on adding more comedy specials, and we're going up by a dollar a month to continue to bring you that programming, I'm more likely to say, okay, I hate going up a dollar a month. 
but that's worth it to keep, you know, how much would I spend? That's less than a movie ticket, one per year, 12 bucks a year, right? That's worth it. If I'm getting to watch five different comedy specials out of the maybe 20 that they added, I might only like five, but that's worth it, right? So I don't like leading with inflation because the other thing is, are you going to decrease your price when prices go down? So when COVID happened, did you go down? Maybe you did as a response because you thought people couldn't afford it and you offered a temporary discount. But unless you permanently made a change and said, hey, everyone's at home and saving money. So we're we're going down permanently. Unless you're going to increase and decrease based on the economy, do not increase because of inflation. The other thing is when you look at the inflation costs, um, this is actually a video I'm going to record in the next couple of weeks. I have a, a graphic on it. But you know, overall, I think inflation's what, like 9% up, right? Something like that um, over the last year. It's probably changed in the last quarter, so who knows? But as of last year, we were hitting about 9.1%, I think. 40% of, uh, you know, 40% increase, 30% increase is mostly oil and airline. They're the main ones that had increases. They had about a 30, 40%. The average is 9.1. Education, which is what a lot of us do, was only like a one or 2% increase. So now- Fuel costs impact us when we are traveling to events and all that, right? Don't get me wrong, but that might mean that your event price went up, but did your cost to deliver a digital education seminar go up 40% or 10%? No. So you have to really consider what are you trying to do? What is the value that you provide and communicate the value? Okay. So that's my hot take on that. I don't believe in just increasing because of inflation. I think, but I think you have to consider that you have to check your bottom line, of course, but I think you need to price based on the value and communicate the value. And then again, part of that might be inflation's hitting us like it's hitting everybody else, but we're adding in these value components that we know that you care about. And that's why, you know, we're going up to this to cover the costs of this additional value that you've asked for. Right. And um, yeah, as you have mentioned, like for an example, you gave uh, Netflix as an example, like they're increasing their monthly, um, like monthly fees or even like, let's say in two months or three months, unless now an association wants to increase their pricing overall, would you suggest to increase the pricing like an, on an annual basis or like in small increments? Yeah, that's a great question. In general, I always ask this question whenever I started training in person, I'll say, okay, raise your hand. Uh, if it's if you've raised your price in the last three years, I usually say about three or five years. And then I'll say, okay, like five to 10 years. And then I'll say more than 10 years or 20 years. And you'll still have people raising their hand. Not uh, Most associations kind of leave their pricing alone for a while. And then they go, wait, 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 we haven't raised the price. And then they just try to, and that's not the way to do it. What I This is generalized. But what I recommend is an annual, if not every other year uh, uh, adjustment, and that should be like a routine. So again, this is generalized. This is not specific for any one organization that's listening. But you might do like a 3%, a 5%. Or if it's every other year, you might do a 5 or maybe even a 10%, something like that. And again, it depends on what the starting price is and all that, right? From there, though, that's where what the kind of work that we do, like a deep value analysis and repackaging and then pricing based on that repackage, I recommend doing that about every three to five years. So it might be that every three to five years, you really adjust the package and you say, okay, now webinars are out. You said that you know monthly webinars felt more like sales pitches. You want more deep dive education, but we can only pull that off every other month or once a quarter. So we're going to have a deep dive and it's going to be really good quality. So we're doing this and you know, wh- however you're shifting things around, right? 
and then you adjust the price. But then in between that, you shouldn't wait three to five years to change the price again. You should do like little steps. So how much again, it, it all depends, but that's where you might do those little steps. So, so typically when we work with a client, we make a three to five year plan and say, here's like the big thing you're doing. And then here's the incremental. And then we'll see you again in three to five years. So I think you should normalize though price increases so that it's a psych thing, right? People get used to it and then they don't question, oh, my price went up. It's like, okay, yeah, it goes up from time to time, but the value is consistent and I love the organization. So that's my recommendation. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and then uh, like, let's say an association has already increased and raised their membership fees, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about communicating to the members. How would you deal with objections if uh, like some members or maybe an individual or business are not willing to pay the increased fees? Yeah. So, okay. Here is something I say to every client in our kickoff meeting, in our first meeting, when I'm meeting with their team that I'm working with, one question I ask, and I give them about five or 10 minutes to answer this question. It's not a quick one. I say, what is your pricing objective? And here's what I mean by that. Is your goal to serve as many people as possible, no matter the profitability? Is your goal to be as profitable as possible and you might not serve as many people, or is it somewhere in the middle? Usually it's somewhere in the middle. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say you have a thousand members and you're at your current price. And because there's no right or wrong answer with pricing, it's gray. Marketing is gray, right? Some things work better than others, but there's always a lot of options of how you can get somewhere. What I say is, okay, if you're at a thousand members, are you okay losing 50 and going to 950, but your overall bottom line goes up by whatever percent and you're giving better quality to those 950? Or are you willing to go down to 800 and it still goes up and you're serving them even better? They might say, eh, 950 feels okay. Like, are you willing to lose some members? So not everyone's going to buy in. Not everyone is going to buy in. And you always lose members every year, right? No one, I mean, even if overall you're having a net gain, you lose some people, you gain more than you lost to have a net gain. But every person's not staying with your organization in perpetuity until they retire. So, you know, you, you have to be okay with losing some people. You have to know how much of your mission as an organization is to serve the most amount of people, no matter what, versus serving the right people well. And only you can answer that. And that's why I let them sit with it because it's interesting. They think, they talk, they all have different answers. The ED will have a different answer from the marketing director and the education director or, 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 or you know, event person and all that. And I let them talk through and I go, okay, so this is where we're comfortable in general. We don't know where we're going to land. We don't know that we're going to lose people or not. But this is this is where this is where you you stand as the decision maker for your organization. That's an important thing to grapple with. Is what is your pricing objective? Again, there are organizations. I can go to a steakhouse, my favorite steakhouse, and spend four hundred dollars on dinner for two easily. I can spend six hundred dollars on dinner for two, or I can go buy my own steak and cook it, or I can go to the cheap place and you know get two steaks and dinner at Texas Roadhouse for sixty bucks. There's a market for everybody. It's who do you want to serve? What makes the most impact? But impact isn't always about the number of members. It's about the quality as well. And balancing the value versus uh, the value impact versus the numerical impact. Sometimes you also have those zombie members and they don't care or, you know, and they, they leave, but were they even logging in anything anyway? Were they making an impact? Were they volunteering? Or were they, and again, it doesn't mean that you don't want them to be a member. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's a a case either way and you have to decide that. Right, right. We're almost end to our time. Uh, So I really wanted to know what is your biggest prediction? Like 
what should be our biggest prediction for association pricing and value strategy in 2023? Yeah, I'm going to echo what I said at the beginning. I think we have to do value analysis. I think most organizations, again, responded and now they're kind of just doing what they did. And it's not the same marketplace. It's not the same landscape. And I think that as chat GPT grows, AI, it's not just Google search now that you have to compete with. There's AI-based searching. People can get the information, the knowledge that your organization brings from anywhere. And the lobby work that you do impacts the, the, the field, whether or not they're a member. So you have to figure out what value do they want from you? How do you become the organization of choice that is providing them with what they need? And you have to talk to them to do that. And then you have to do that work. You have to change. You have to say that might mean changing our staffing model. You might need a coordinator to uh, manage the community because they want more of a virtual community aspect. Therefore, you might have to increase the price to pay for this new you know, $50,000 a year salary plus benefits, but you might not need this other thing or how can you upskill that employee to change? So change is happening. Are you going to keep up? Are you not? Are you going to deliver the value? Are you not? Don't worry about price first. Worry about the value, the, the, the solution that you're giving to your audience, and then you price, and then you have a profitable business, and we can do that. But my biggest prediction is we're going to have to figure out the value. I think if orgs skate by that for another year or two, it's going to be a big, big problem long term for, for them, for those that don't do the work. Right, right. And uh, on that on that point, like, what would be your biggest key takeaway uh, for our audiences today? Um, outside of doing value analysis, um, I would say have a method to how you do value and pricing. Um, there, there are methods out there. I know it's not a topic we talk about a lot. It's not in any, I'm in a whole library. You can't see it, but I'm in a whole library here in my office. You know, it, 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 pricing is not talked about enough in our membership books and our CAE study materials. It's usually like a page, right? Like we, we and we say value, but there's no method to the value. So research, our, again, our, I'm not plugging, but our blog is a really great resource, but just look up pricing and value in general and then apply it to your association. There are methodologies, so don't just use them as buzzwords. Figure out a plan and execute it so that you're doing this well. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all those insightful um, answers to all the questions that our audience has asked and from our end as well. And uh, thank you everyone for joining our podcast today. I hope everybody found it insightful as well and hope to see everyone on our next podcast event. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.